Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. So there's a reason why I started Blood Origins. And that reason is simple. Is that I wanted to convey the truth about hunting. It brings awareness to to non-hunters that it's, it's more than just killing animals. How do I start it? Brittany. My name my is... Name. <laughs> Does my hair look okay? It's fantastic. My name is Mike Axelrod. Start again. Yeah, I hated it too. Braxton, <laughs> you said something in the car to me. You said that you were living on borrowed time. Hmm. There's a perception around who hunters are, what we're supposed to be, and a a feminist that works for a non-profit that is a hunter that has only eaten wild game for the last 20 years is likely not the thing that people think about when it comes to a hunter. There we are. Mm -hmm. Middle of the Limpopo province. Deepest, darkest Africa. I wouldn't call this deepest, darkest Africa. It's pretty luxurious. Oh, Sitting okay. in a very luxurious place right now. Yeah, but that that's the... That's the thing. That's the hidden secret, isn't it? Yeah. How deep and dark is Africa? Mud huts, no yeah. electricity, right? Everything started as mud sometime. <laughs> <laughs> um, out the gate, why don't we? Why don't you give me a fallacy of taxidermy that people just would be like, "Whoa!" <laughs> that South Africans can do taxidermy. Wow. Okay. There we go. So you think people don't believe that South Africans can do taxidermy? I think they do believe that, th that we can do it. I think the, the evolution of taxidermy in Africa has been, been something that hasn't been uh, publicized or the story hasn't been told as much. Um, many years ago, taxidermy was seen as this bug-eyed, horrible-looking work. No, you've seen it. You've seen you've terrible seen it. taxidermy. Yeah, it, it, it's, it's, it's nasty. But... I think that it, it's not about the artist as, a, as it is about the, 
the components of the taxidermy. So years ago, when the tanning was the problem, you found that the skin shrunk a lot. Um, the artist had this vision in his head of what he wanted to produce, and he went in with the idea of creating a bush buck, and it came out looking like a bush pig. Not because he couldn't necessarily do it, but he was disadvantaged from the start. The chemicals used in tanning were not as advanced as you'd find internationally. He didn't have the exposure to the mannequins and the products necessary in creating great taxidermy. So as, as time has changed, so South Africa has caught up with the tanning um, on international levels. Um, we've got access to exactly the same chemical components, exactly the same materials as taxidermists internationally have got. And as a result, we are, we are able to create exactly the same principal product. The only thing is this. We have exposure to African animals every day. It's what we've looked at since we were kids. This is, this is our, our safe space. In much the same way as you're going to find there are great sheep taxidermists or bear taxidermists or mm -hmm. North American game or yep. fish taxidermists. Whatever your speciality is, it's because you've been exposed to it or something you're passionate about. Why would that make a difference? Like there's no way that you being, yeah, okay, I grew up in South Africa. I've seen a couple of kudu. I've seen a couple of impala. Why would that make a difference in terms of the taxidermy? And you already said a word that you're probably going to say a lot, <laughs> which is art and an artist. Uh, art and artist, that means you've got, a, you've got an opinion. Every artist has an opinion. and They have a, a perspective that they see something from. Um, taxidermy is about the movement of animals and how the skin moves or the mannequin and putting it all together. Watching kudus move, watching Anyala move, is very different to watching a pronghorn move, or a whitetail mm -hmm. for that matter. And the artist's ability to portray that animal in a static pose, that's, that's what differentiates him. The setting of the eyes and the detail that he brings out in what is actually a very simple movement. You've got one movement. I suppose you could liken it to a photographer who's able to capture the essence of an animal or an essence of a subject with one photograph. Mm -hmm. Incredibly difficult. Sure. Videography, totally different. Right. In that you can you, you can you can see the whole series come together. But taxidermy like photography, you've got one pose. How do you make the most of that pose to tell an incredible story? Yeah, it's amazing. That's well, before I carry on any further, nobody knows who you are. And I always do terrible jobs of introducing people because I'd love to dive into the subject right away. Why don't you introduce yourself, Doug? My name is Doug. <laughs> <laughs> a little bit more, please. You've done well so far. Um, Doug Cocroft. I'm from Splitting Image Taxidermy in South Africa. Um, I've been in the taxidermy game for about uh, 21 years now. Okay. Been in the wildlife industry. I, I, I'm quite proud to say my, my whole life I've been exposed to wildlife and aspects of the wildlife industry since I was a child from grandfathers and uncles who were active in the hunting business um, up until I got into guiding, worked with several private game reserves, worked uh, in the Serengeti, um, was privileged enough to spend time doing walking safaris in the Maasai Mara, um, worked with some great photographers who were involved with productions like Big Cat Diaries through BBC. So I've been exposed to wildlife throughout my childhood, going into my, my early career, and then the last, well, the latter part, the main part of my career as a taxidermist. Um, having owned Splitting Image Taxidermy that I started in 2004, um, yeah, here we are today. 
in deep, dark Africa. So, I apologize for the questions I'm going to pose to you because a lot of people get caught off guard and not. It, it, the whole point of it is for the 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 discussion around hunting and keeping it alive, essentially. <laughs> do, you, do you, as a taxidermist, aren't you the person that is responsible for the trophy being on the wall? And this whole idea of that's all we're doing is we're just shoving heads on the wall. Like we're looking at a bunch of heads right now. Heads on the wall. Um, or are we, or we, are we the narrators of incredible stories? Are, are we the we the people that get to partake in people's adventures by creating these props that they hang on their wall, and when they sit down with loved ones, friends, children, um, they're able to look up at the wall, and they have this reminder of an incredible experience so it's not a trophy it's not just a head it's not just a head it's not a trophy i don't like the term trophy um trophy is a a word that has several negative connotations um it detracts from artwork and as as an artist where the canvas is the animal something i have tremendous respect for to to call it merely a trophy I think would be diminishing what it is tremendously. Um, The value of that animal hunted, the quarry that is put on the wall as a reminder of an experience, the value of that animal is so much more than just a trophy, which is, in my opinion, merely an egotistical kind of memento. Could you flip it on its head and say that if all the all the steps are done correctly, and we talked about this earlier, and this is where I want to go with this, and the utmost respect is paid to the animal, then the head on the wall represents the utmost respect that you could pay any animal. Hundred percent. Elucidate 100%. why that would be, because you know better than anybody why that is true. Well, you see, the thing is, it 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 starts so much further back than the taxidermist or the artist having these parts to put together to create this this physical product that gets hung on the wall. It goes back to the experience that the hunter has with the guides, the experience the hunter has with the staff and the people of the land that made that whole product possible. Without the the people in the camps throughout the world, not just Africa, this goes everywhere. Without the people that have made that experience so valuable, you're not able to truly honor the animal at the end of the day. You've got skinners, and it's a sticking point for me. The guys who spend time in Africa, in the field, once an animal's, animal's been hunted, these are the guys that go and skin the animal, they prepare the skin, they make sure it's salted correctly. I've met a lot of these guys throughout Africa, South Africa, Zimbabwe, Botswana, Mozambique, Zambia. So often these guys don't have incredible educations. They certainly aren't wearing the latest pair of trainers or the smartest shirts and all the rest. But they've been left responsible for preparing a memory of such incredible value. These are people that dedicate their 
time and their skill mm. to preparing the canvas that will carry the story and the memory for years to come. Right. Without these people along the way, nothing would ever end up on the wall holding those incredible memories like they do. So it, it's an accumulation of many people along the way. There's artists in the taxidermy business that pour themselves into the artwork that they do. There so do your taxidermists, we haven't met them yet, but we're going to see them later, they take pride in what they do? Absolutely. Without a doubt. To the point that each one of the artists in the business, they sign off on their animals. It's important for me, I'm, I own the business, but that mount, they have ownership over it. Mm. And on the day that they work on that particular piece, they know the client's name, they know who they hunted with, we give them a brief on the person, not a brief on the animal. As taxidermists, as artists, you're expected to know the animal. A cab driver is expected to know how to drive sure. most of the time. Sure. Um, these guys know what they're doing, but we give them the insight into the person, the backstory, hmm. Because then they're able to look at it and go, this was Jenny's first animal. Right. Um, over the past, I think it's five years now, we've given away over 600 mounts to children who've shot their first animal. Mm. These kids go out, they hunt their first animal. They don't always have the money to get something done. Right. We'd like it to be a positive experience. Of course. So we do it for free. Right. Give them the work and they've got a story and each of the artists knows their story. So whether it's a first-timer or a veteran, doesn't really matter. As long as there's a backstory and we're able to to pay respect to the hunter as well as the hunted. Mm -hmm. you, know, you said earlier today how, you know, the taxidermy, when, when you cross into the world of, you know, hunting, and obviously COVID last year, we had a lot less hunting, almost bans of hunting put in place as a result of COVID. You know, how do you spurn something back? How do you spurn this love of people coming to Africa? How do we how do you get people to come to South Africa right now? You know, that COVID is, yes, it's still a factor. Yes, you can still come. Yes, you can still be safe. Yes, you can still have a great time. But if you make the experience, like that's what the whole, P, the, you know, the PH here, his job, the client, the lodge, the lodge staff, their job is to ensure that that person has the best possible time he can have or she can have so that... She comes back or he comes back again and brings his friends. 100%. And taxidermy, I guess nobody really even thinks that taxidermy actually plays a major role in that circle. It, it's a, it plays a critical part in the circle. Absolutely critical in that while the, while the hunt is such an amazing experience, it's easily tainted Mm -hmm. When the, when the follow on experience of taxidermy is a negative one. Right. Now, here's the problem with taxidermy. It's an art form and artists generally aren't great businessmen. Yeah, they take their time. They take their time or <laughs> they lose interest or, you know, it, it's that, oh, but he's a creative. And 
you see that in many industries, advertising industry, you work with creatives and the creatives get... I work with creators all the time. They piss me off all the exactly. time. They're creatives. <laughs> now, taxidermists are... You met Lewis and Jack today. Creatives. <laughs> world-class individuals. Creatives, nevertheless. Correct. World-class individuals. Here's the hassle. With the investment that goes into taxidermy and hunting, there, there's not a whole lot of room for, for let's call it, creative forgiveness. Mm-hmm. Because you're not buying bread and milk and, and necessity. You're taking the money after tax, you're left over your extra, which is actually what we all work for. Right. And they're choosing to invest that in immortalizing a memory. Right. You need to look after that investment. So there's no time in the process, especially in the South African taxidermy industry, to fall back on, oh, but he's a creative. doesn't work like that. That's why it's taking 18 months to get the piece back. Which it should not be. The process does not take that long. It doesn't. Yes, you need to have volume to be able to run a sustainable business. Right. But it does not have to take 18 months. So what's the typical? If I say I was on safari right now and you know we shot three or four animals, said splitting image, I want you to handle it. Obviously, it depends on what I want, right? There we go. If I went it European mounts. Six months. Six months back in my S- house. Six months completed and then the shipping process. Okay. Which is normally depending on the availability of the, the carriers. So what's shipping like today in today's world? It's improved compared to last year's world. Okay. I'll tell you that much for free. Okay. Last year was a, a frightening thing. We, what we did, we took, in 2019, we took about 800 shipments and we worked out the ratio of what the shipping is to the taxidermy bill and what the shipping is to the raw dip pack processing bill. Just to try and get an idea of what the real numbers are, number one, and try and debunk the mystery that shipping taxidermy from South Africa back to the United States primarily is more expensive than shipping dip and pack from South Africa to the United States. To then get taxidermied. Correct. So the outcome was actually astounding in that of the 800 shipments, we came up with a a basic number that the shipping on a taxidermy consignment is between 30 and 34% of the taxidermy bill. Mm-hmm. The shipping of a raw dip and pack consignment is between 62 and 67% wow. of the dip and Almost pack Almost double. So by percentage, it is more cost effective. That, and on top of that, you've got a South African taxidermy rate as general. That's about 30 to 40% less. I don't want to use the word expensive, but costs less by 30 to 40% than a a comparable taxidermist in the United States. So it is more cost effective to do the work in South Africa by the book. But like anything, there's a tipping point. If you're going to do huge dioramas with multiple full mount elephants and full mount buffaloes, that is where having a taxidermist back in the United States who's able to compile these incredible trophy rooms with dioramas climbing up the walls, it becomes their realm. And that's why in the U.S. you've got some amazing companies 
that are doing doing these beautiful dioramas and the detail they're putting into it and the effort they're putting into yeah. it, it's unlike anything we've seen before. Yeah. Can the South African taxidermist do this? Absolutely. But by geography, it makes it somewhat uh, somewhat harder to do. But that's like that's changing the game, right? Do you think that those big dioramas, that's something new? Or has that been around for a long time? It's actually been around for a long time. I think it's But people are changing the game in terms of the depth of detail and stuff like that in those dioramas? Depth of, depth of detail and also the, the scalability of these big, big projects. So now someone who's got a, a basic room is actually considering doing something that is quite radical compared to the same person the same size room years ago would have he would have sufficed for a pedestal mount and a few shoulder mounts do you think that that same person is thinking because i know a lot now when someone approaches them and they well they approach the taxidermist and say okay we want to build a trophy room that taxidermist doesn't look at that trophy room to say what do you have right now he's saying okay what are you planning to hunt in the next 10 years that's it and build it correct do you think that's a different mindset this now versus again 10 years ago 20 years ago are they are they thinking were they thinking that way were you thinking that way we've always been been relationship and client centered as a by default that's it's always been my way of thinking let's create an experience because if the experience is good the client will come back as you said prior to the, to to this question this line of questioning now if a client comes out, has a good safari, has a great taxidermy experience, he is far more likely or she is far more likely to rebook the next hunting experience. Mm-hmm. If it's a negative taxidermy experience, they generally pull up the handbrake and say, you know what, that was just an absolutely appalling experience. Right. I'm going to go and look for something else. Yeah, that was it's a n- cock up. It's not the outfitter's fault. It isn't. But at the end of the day, Everyone along the line is going to get painted with that brush. And when that client comes back to South Africa, I promise you, the fact that he had a negative experience will be brought up and held against the industry till thy kingdom come. That's just the way it is. Mm -hmm. We need to change that perception. As South African artists, we need to look at this and go, how do we change the perception? And there's three simple factors. You've got product, price, and service. That's the basis of the business you can't have them all right if you want to if you want to be cheaper product or service is going to slide right and both the business owner as well as the client needs to understand this if you want service and a product please don't expect that it should be for free right this is not a barter system. Well, it's essentially what what you just painted is the safari industry too, right? It's like people shop around. They're like, okay, what what is the best, cheapest package I can get for 100%. five game animals? 100%. And you can completely understand someone, as you said, they're working for this extra surplus income that they want to invest now into this thing that they love. And someone says, well, you can get five animals for three grand. And then you've got someone else that says, I can get you five animals for seven grand. They're like, well, I'm going to go with the, the three grand one. Absolutely. But there's a difference between the three and the seven. There's no doubt a difference between the three and the seven, it's especially it's the, the places, difference. the animals, the types of animals. The guides, the accommodation. The way the guide and the safari owner treats their staff. Mm-hmm. The way they honor the animal. Mm-hmm. Do they use new salt 
on every single hunt or do they recycle the salt? So let's say they recycle the salt and it happens to end up that your skin ends up under the older salt and that incredible deal that you got on a sable and it was an amazing hunt but the hair just fell out. Mm. It's insurance. You get what you pay for. So while, while we all want a deal, there's a line between unrealistic and a realistic deal, let's say. Um, if it seems too good to be true... <laughs> <laughs> Come on, it is, too good. it is too good to be true, right? 100%, every single time. Right. So, end of the day, what you've got to look at, you've got to say to yourself, am I, do I feel like I'm getting good value for what I'm, what I'm paying for? Right. I'm after those animals. Go and reference the place. Speak to guys who've been there. Ask people on the ground. And if there's a hesitation to get a reference list, ask yourself why. Right. Simple. Yeah. If everyone's driving X brand of car, but why brand of car is so much cheaper? Just ask why. It's not difficult. Mm-hmm. But unfortunately, because everyone wants to be in a position of this instant gratification and take these fantastic pictures and put it on that, that thing called social media, unfortunately, they're going to go after the good deal. And the good deal often is not as good as it looks. So... Let me paraphrase for a second. Splitting image taxidermy is not the cheapest. No. Happily so. Happily. But, and there's a big but behind this. You're going to get everything up front. That's what you're paying for. That's the quality of the work you're paying for. If there's a problem, you have our fullest attention and commitment to getting it right. And anyone who says we don't have problems, <laughs> well, it's just a case of when. Yeah, but you've put in things that enhance the experience, obviously, right? Yes. You, you've told me that, um, like, for example, I, I didn't know this. I don't know how many people did this, but maybe the cat's out the bag now because we have millions of people that listen mm. to this, Doug. You know, we're very... Yeah, obviously, but it's, it's your gleaming personality. <laughs> <laughs> no, you need to leave the... You know, my cameramen typically give me shit when they when I put them on the podcast. Um, well, I'm on the pay now, so it's fine. There we go. But um, you don't hear about your taxidermy until, you you know, hey, it's being shipped out and here it comes. But you said that you sent pictures of the animals as they're going through yeah, different stages? all the way through. Um, so clients have a, a, a one-person point of contact throughout their experience. And that person, it's their responsibility to make certain that it doesn't matter where they are in the world, they see that their investment is safe and that their work is being processed in accordance with what we told them we would do. We're honoring the business contract. It's an agreement. This is the art, the art side aside. This is the business agreement. We will make certain that your work is completed in that time frame. If not, we will communicate with you clearly why it isn't being completed in that time frame. COVID was an exceptional year, and I'm very sure. grateful for the patience that so many of our clients have shown us and the support. And as a result, we've not only come through it, but I believe we've, we've reached a new level mm. in coming through it. Mm. Um, but in a general year, 
between six and ten months, your work is completed, irrespective of the size of the order. Our goal is that your trophies, your memories of that safari, whatever you want to call them, are hanging on your wall in under a year from the date that you pay for your taxidermy. Gotcha. And I say that carefully. Gotcha. Because... You expect it's payment a, up front? It's a, I expect 50% down payment up front. Okay. It's a business transaction first. We can get all arty later and I'll unleash the creative. That's fine. Sure. But it starts with business. It ends with business. You're investing in me providing you with a quality service and delivering a quality product. Uh-huh. Done. And our prices are not scary. They are market related and they are product related right so it's not as if we have an exorbitant price list we still come in at least 25 to 35 percent lower than a a an artist or taxidermy business in the u.s of an equal stature Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you told me um that you've been doing some interesting sort of you implementing various measures in the business to become sort of more sustainable, more environmentally friendly, right? There's yeah. there's this idea that tax. I guess it's maybe it's not just taxidermy, but you know we talk about in the hunting world that we're sustainable. We're a sustainable utilization business. We we are the consumptive use model in which we want to reap the maximum sustainable yield of animals off of a landscape. Yes, we want populations to increase. Yes. And and really, we it, it it ends there. Like you, nobody thinks outside of that box. No, it it kind of ends with, well, I've uh, I've been taken someone on a great safari, and the meat has been put to good use. Right. It's been sold into the market. There's been right. natural integration. But what does the taxidermist do? Yeah, is the taxidermist being environmentally responsible? Is he being sustainable in his use of whatever materials he's using? Yeah. And the answer is no, right? No, hundred percent. Couldn't agree with you more. <laughs> Couldn't agree with you more. Our footprint is, if you were to take our footprint into consideration in in general, is not what it should be. So we took some radical steps to to change this. And we've implemented um, repurposing. So you've got recycling, repurposing um, of waste materials or offcuts and excesses. So the whole idea is that if we can control our own small environment, we are thereby making a difference environmentally. Right. Okay. It doesn't help that people stop and say, yes, but no one else does it. Right. Um, that the saying, you have to be the change you want to see. Yeah. So we've, we're starting to be the change we want to see. Now, if you drive through any rural area in South Africa, in Africa for that matter, litter is a problem. Yep. It's a it's a bugbear for me. It really bothers me when people throw litter on the floor and walk away from it. So we now have rosters where our staff, the team, actually go out into areas. We take a strip of beachfront, a piece of road next to a highway. doesn't matter. And we say from there to there, we will leave nothing behind. And we go and pick up all the plastic, all the glass, any rubbish we can as a company. So we take time out of our production day and we go and collect other people's rubbish off the side of the roads. Mm-hmm. 
And guys have kind of looked at us and said, oh, they're doing some good. We are, but here's the turnaround. We're taking the plastic and any of those matters. They are all being shredded into small microgranules. We've created a, a machine, not created, we've, we've manufactured a machine that is really, really, uh, it was more, more a pipe dream at, that worked than anything else. We're then taking these offcuts. They go through a cleaning and drying process, and they are then being blended into the polyurethane that we utilize to manufacture the mannequins that the animals get mounted onto. Doesn't that make the mannequins more less robust? Not at all. Not at all. It's in a they're in a pellet form. So because of the heat of the polyurethane, the polyurethane is blending into these small plastic pellets. How much less polyurethane are you using? Now? Fifteen to twenty percent. Wow. And we're taking that from rubbish off the side of the road. Mm. So suddenly you've got our artists that are going, we are making a difference. They feel like they are contributing in a way that's not just financial, in a way that's saying, we're actually doing some good. We're picking up rubbish. Mm -hmm. They're taking that back into communities and going, guys, don't throw your litter on the floor. And I do feel like we're making changes. So it's, it's a small thing. But if you consider how much polyurethane we utilize in the manufacture of taxidermy, um, it's so far yeah, for sure. doing really well. Our testing of this has gone very well, and we haven't had any issues with the, with the foam. We've gone through the manufacturers that manufacture foam. We've done pressure testing with it to make certain that, sure. that it is done correctly. Because that's the last thing you want, right? Oh, absolutely. So all the testing has been done. Be this responsible individual, and then it goes kaput exactly. at the end. Good intentions, you know. Mm. Um, no, no, what's it? No good deed goes unpunished. unpunished right. One of those, one of those scenarios. But we've taken it to the to the point where we've gone to the manufacturers, and we've dealt with certain people that are specialists in their fields, and said, "This is the concept. Can you help us achieve it?" And they have, and it's done really well. Um, it's not just a case of taking your plastic bag and shoving it inside a mannequin. Yeah, that's what I actually. When you first told me about this, I thought it was like. So what is he doing? Is he just like carving like a center core <laughs> and just shoving as much shite into that center core? Not not shite, but yeah, exactly. you know, plastic in there and just like sealing it up and going, okay, Yay. we've actually just made the mount, you know, 15% lighter. Yeah, no. but that was a little naive of me. No, we actually went, went the route of going to the polyurethane specialists, saying to these guys, this is the concept. How do we blend two materials? And they said, right, what sort of materials? We said, well, we're looking at a, there's a once the, the plastic has been repurposed or put into a pellet form, how do we incorporate the pellet into the polymer? Where does that pellet process occur? Does it occur there in PE? In Port Elizabeth, yes. So it's a, it's a costly thing to get started, but over a period of two years, we'll see the return. Right. So not only are we going to be saving on the bottom line, which is going back to the business aspect, but we're also going to be doing some good. Mm -hmm. um, so that's one of the ways uh, in terms of recycling inside the facility as well. All of our offcuts, waste materials, plastic goes one side, glass goes one side, tin goes one side. Um, they all get processed and get given to a waste management company. We pay to make certain that it's taken care of correctly. Yeah. It's disposed of correctly. Yeah. Um, it's our responsibility. Our tanning processes are based on chemistry and recycling of waters so we do not waste and dump water 
um, we adhere to our veterinary requirements very, very strictly to make certain that the facility operates under the same requirements, as I said, as as we would have at the top veterinary facilities in the country. Mm -hmm. So we've taken the steps. It's cost us money. It takes time. You have to constantly keep it up to date. Sure. But I believe it's our responsibility. Um, and as you'll, you'll see in our, our brand positioning, it's a responsibility worth remembering. Right. And it's something we take seriously. So it's what we're doing to contribute back in our, our small way to an environment that we love tremendously. Right. Well, it's just telling a, a broader story around, you know, again, who hunting, who hunters are, who the hunting industry is. Absolutely. The ethics of the hunting industry, all the elements that are almost never, ever, ever spoken about. Never. I don't think anyone is, you know, you know, we tend to feel like Blood Origins is pushing you know, into new areas, into new places when it comes to the hunting industry because talking about, let's be honest, talking about taxidermy is not very sexy, right? No, no it's not. <laughs> but it's such an integral part of the of the life cycle of hunting. And it's the thing that the antis haul us over the coals every single day about. That Absolutely. all you guys are interested in is putting dead heads on the wall. Absolutely. But by the same token, we all wear T-shirts, and there's cotton utilization. I mean, there's cotton everywhere. Yeah, but but in the cotton industry, they're not killing anything, Doug. Yes. In the hunting industry, we are killing things, yeah. and that is the difference. That is the difference. There's no ifs, ands about it. Because we kill, and it's something that we understand part of hunting otherwise we would be hiking yes true words there is a a chasm of someone who doesn't get it that is disconnected from the idea of life and death the idea of the cycle of life the idea that the meat in the grocery store had to come from something that died we are just at the forefront of how could you have killed that animal the cotton industry kills a lot of stuff. The harvesters, the pesticides, the everything. And, 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 and. Yeah, yeah. But that's not the point. That's an indirect consequence. It's an indirect co consequence, absolutely. Hunting, the direct consequence is killing an animal. 100%. But what good comes out of it? Oh, no, there's no doubt. Thousands of things that could come out of it. We as a hunting industry have done a terrible job of showing the good that comes out of hunting. Of having these discussions. Yeah, that's because the, all we've focused on, Doug, is the kill. That's it. And they haven't looked at how much good the process does, the experience does, for the economy at large, for wildlife at large. Right. And people are not marketing it. They're not telling their stories. They're not standing up and saying, what we did today was not about killing an animal. What we did today was about saving that species. That's the difference. 100%. But those who are not sitting at the forefront with dirt under their nails and out there sweating in 40 degree heat to make sure that the roads are correctly maintained in order to correctly monitor the animals and give them a safe haven, 
Those people are sitting, wearing their cotton shirts, eating their store-bought meat, mm-hmm. and criticizing from the outside. Mm-hmm. Whereas all I'd like to see happen is not to have someone who doesn't have the choice whether to hunt or not to hunt, but someone who's taken the time to understand the good that hunting and all of the businesses that surround it, the good that they do, whether you want to hunt by choice is like whether you want to eat baked beans or not. It's or your meat choice. or not. Or meat or not. It's your choice. But respect the fact that everything, if done respectfully, has its place. As does taxidermy. Yeah. It's an expression. It's honoring the animal. It's a wonderful, wonderful prop to tell a, to tell a story and pass on a good message. I actually would correct you, and, and I know you're the taxidermist here, so you can feel free to correct me back. I don't think it's a prop. I think it's art, because you keep using this idea, this thing of art, and that's also difficult to see, but it truly is. That's what you talk about your artists. They are creating, they're not creating a prop. No, they're not creating a prop. I think, I think for me, the reason I use the word is it's because there's always such an incredible story behind every single one of these animals. And it's those stories that will live on. I've also seen families where the grandfather shot a, a beautiful buffalo and the animals hanging on the wall. Two generations down the line, they may not be as interested in having that buffalo hanging on their walls, but they remembered the stories. Mm. And the reason they remembered the stories, because when they looked up at that buffalo, the grandson remembered what the grandfather had told him about respecting that animal and the experience that he went through in hunting that animal in the Luangwa Valley or wherever it might have been. Right. So, yeah, it's it's a means of recalling all those wonderful details that make these experiences in hunting so, yeah, so worth remembering. Yeah. Well, hopefully I'll have um, some African taxidermy in my near future. Yeah. It's Not this trip, but maybe. It's about time. Yeah, next time. Um but Doug, thank you. I appreciate your dedication to hunting and your craft and the art that you put into it. And um, yeah, first of many conversations, I hope. More conversations to come, and I think we've got to just keep. We have to keep talking. Yeah, we have to. Um, we have to spread spread the news and do what we can as individuals in our own piece of the world, and just make sure that we do it right. Exactly. Thank Cheers. You very much. Thanks, Doug. Appreciate it. Well, that's it for today. I appreciate you listening, as always. Leave a review, share it with your friends, and most importantly, do what's right to convey the truth around hunting.